the two-tiered Republican strategy to Donald Trump's legal problems. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Patricia, I was sad to miss the last episode. I was in New York with my nine-year-old daughter, a daddy-daughter trip. It was a whirlwind. We went, it seemed like, to every possible thing we could do. And at the end of the day, I'd look at my watch and it said, we go 15 miles one day, 14 miles the next day. We walked an awful lot. But the, one of the cool parts was my daughter, she absolutely loved, we also took the subway and she just loved being able to go downstairs in the middle of the city and whisk away into a, into a, into a rusty train to the next neighborhood. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Oh, I love it. You're my old stomping grounds. I used to live in New York, loved it so much. And it was actually the best dog town I ever lived in. I had a chocolate lab who lived with me in a third floor walk up, but we were two blocks from Central Park and it just, it just doesn't get better than that. It's just, it was wonderful. It's a great place to live until you run out of money. <laughs> until you realize and then it's your time to go. Twice your mortgage here. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about the Republican response to Donald Trump's latest legal problems. We're also going to go deeper into how Marjorie Taylor Greene became Joe Biden's unintentional ally and the one-year anniversary of Georgia's new anti-abortion law. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Patricia, as federal prosecutors near another indictment against Donald Trump, there are two general reactions from most GOP elected officials here in Georgia. It's either a studied silence from leaders who want to distance themselves from the former president or a circle the wagons rush to his defense. What we're not hearing, not surprisingly, is anyone condemning him? Not even Governor Kemp, his his frenemy, his his his, uh, his top Donald Trump's top target in the last year's midterm. Kemp was asked this week by CNN's Caitlin Collins about the pace of the Fulton County investigation. Here's what the governor said. Well, I'm probably more disappointed that it's taken this long. People are wondering, like, why is this taking so long? Why have we have why haven't we had resolution? Um, so I think I think that just sows distrust in the system, which is unfortunate. That's not what people should be feeling, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. So it is, you know, in my eyes, frustrating. But we'll see what she comes out with and at the appropriate time. Patricia, what do you think is fueling this two-tiered strategy? Well, I think no Republican wants to get on the wrong side of Donald Trump and his voters. Um, even still, all these years later, even when I, you know, Republicans have seen what happens to fellow Republicans when they come out very harshly against Donald Trump or even honestly against Donald Trump. Um, and it usually doesn't end well. They typically will leave office or be defeated in their primaries. That's what happened to Adam Kinzinger. It's what happened to Liz Cheney. Um, any strong critic of the president is gone pretty quickly in this Republican Party. So um, the answer right now is either silence or 
a very strong defense of Donald Trump and accusing um, the Biden Justice Department of weaponizing the justice system, even though a number of these people involved uh, have nothing to do with Joe Biden. Um, it is, uh, and that to me, I think is the most troubling. When you really start to um, go after the justice system itself, it makes it almost impossible to enforce the law. If you don't trust the judges, some people don't trust the police, uh, you get into just kind of a, a lawlessness um, at every level of the justice system. And I just think that's really dangerous. So um, I think probably silence is the, uh, is the uh, safest response here, especially because we don't know exactly what this uh, potential indictment is going to look like. We have seen no evidence. We have only kind of guesses, educated guesses about what mm -hmm. Jack Smith might be coming at Donald Trump with if he even issues an indictment. So I think uh, not saying anything at this exact moment is probably the right course. Um, I will say there is a third tier of Republican response, and that is a text to you or me of Republicans in this state saying what they really <laughs> <You're right>. think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and lamenting the fact that Donald Trump is potentially breaking not just one crime, but many crimes. And he is the leading candidate in their GOP primary and seems damaged to a level he has not been among a large group of voters and will be very difficult for him to win a general election. So a number of Republicans don't feel the way they're acting in public. In private, they'll say something else. But that's uh, not something that they're willing to uh, say out loud right now. And you're right. We don't know um, if there will be federal charges, an another round of federal charges, or what they will look like. We do have some informed speculation from the target letter that Donald Trump said he was sent by special counsel Jack Smith. We also know uh, from our reporting, from reporting from AJC trial guru Tamar Hallerman, that Jack Smith's special counsel has subpoenaed the footage, the video footage of the State Farm vote counting process, which of course was front and center in the January 6th hearings and also is a factor into the Fulton County probe of what happened here in Georgia. So we know there's overlapping. We always like to say it's sort of a Venn diagram and there's a pretty big overlap between whatever federal prosecutors are looking at and the Fulton County probe. Patricia, I was really interested to see the response from Congressman Rich McCormick from the North Atlanta suburbs. He's the most senior Republican official in Georgia to endorse someone not named Donald Trump. And his his response on Twitter, he posted a video of a Democrat defending the Justice Department and overlaid it with a quote about how it's not the, quote, job of federal agencies to rule like kings over the American people. So that speaks to your comments earlier, how you know the Justice Department attacking the Justice Department and, and McCormick wasn't doing this, but we've seen other Republicans suggest that Joe Biden was this hidden hand behind this prosecution. That has been a common tactic we've seen, a common response we've seen from Republicans throughout this entire investigative process. Well, and that answer right there kind of leans toward Donald Trump's uh, response, which is that the Justice Department has been weaponized, but it doesn't say that directly. And you look at the district that Rich McCormick is in, that is a solidly Republican district, but it's changing. Uh, he also is the only member of the Georgia uh, GOP delegation who has endorsed somebody besides Donald Trump. He's already endorsed Ron DeSantis. So I think Rich McCormick is on a slightly different lane than a number of the extremely pro-Trump uh, members that we have. And he's one to definitely continue to watch because somebody who is charting his own course is going to be the most interesting to watch right now. Great point, Patricia. But you know who else isn't saying much about Donald Trump's growing legal problems? 
Who? Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. But he has increasingly relied on another polarizing Republican to help make his case for re-election, and that is Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. The president has repeatedly invoked Greene as a personification of Donald Trump's hardline MAGA loyalists. He's taken jabs at her primetime events and promised a visit to her Northwest Georgia district later this year. And this week, Biden's campaign posted a video of Marjorie Taylor Greene speaking derisively about the president at a conservative convention. Let's hear it. Joe Biden had the largest public investment in social infrastructure and environmental programs that is actually finishing what FDR started that LBJ expanded on, and Joe Biden is attempting to complete programs to address education, medical care, urban problems, rural poverty, transportation, Medicare, Medicaid, labor unions, and he still is working on it. So Joe Biden turns Marjorie Taylor Greene's attack on his agenda into a campaign ad, and he tweets over that footage with this, with these four words, I approve this message. Patricia, uh, we, we've seen Democrats in Georgia use Marjorie Taylor Greene as an avatar for all things far right for years now. But now we're seeing it on a broader scale from the president himself. Yes. This is when having a at least a slight diversity of opinions in a speech writing room helps. So somebody could have said, you know, not everybody thinks that's bad. Or someone could say, is this going to be on TV? Not everybody thinks that's bad. So no sooner had she said this at the conference than this was spliced, diced up on the internet with tons of Democrats and very quickly Joe Biden himself saying, I approve this message because it it literally could have been written by a Joe Biden speechwriter instead of a Marjorie Taylor Greene speechwriter. And she is, and we all know this here in Georgia, she has this ability to supersize fundraising no matter what party you're in. Mm -hmm. And so she can supersize her own fundraising. She can do a fundraiser for a fellow Republican. It goes viral. And for Democrats in particular, Marcus Flowers, her opponent in the 14th district in 2022, um, raised $15 million. That is in the Rome media market. It is hard to even spend that much money. It's almost impossible. Um, In a congressional race, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he raised more money than some Senate campaigns just by virtue of the fact the headline in every email was help me defeat Marjorie Taylor Greene. So um, having her name in the subject line of any fundraiser is guaranteed to raise millions, um, just no matter what side of the aisle you're on. And so it's no surprise at all that Democrats grabbed this very quickly. And I promise this won't be the last time and it will certainly be. um, We'll see this particular clip on loop for a long time. And I'll add that even despite that torrent of cash that that Marcus Flowers raised, 15 million plus, and look, Marjorie Taylor Greene raised $12 million plus, even despite that torrent of cash, uh, the outcome of the race, Marjorie Taylor Greene wins by 32 points. So look, yes. <laughs> Democrats love raising cash. Uh, the, the state Democratic Party does it too. They say, Marjorie Taylor Greene is on the ropes. She's in more trouble than she's ever been before. She's in a Ruby red Republican leaning district, even when it was redrawn to include some Cobb precincts, it still remained bright, bright red. And she's in no danger of losing to a Democratic challenger unless there's a dramatic population shift that we just cannot anticipate in the next few years. 
She's in zero danger. Zero, zero. Can't stress that enough unless something really changes up there in that district. Um, however, she's she is a very helpful foil on a national level. So if you're running a national campaign, raising money from triggered San Francisco Democrats is extremely handy because you can spend that anywhere. If you're just going to be spending it in, um, in the Rome media market, that's not really going to have any effect. Um, however, for, for Joe Biden, I mean, he couldn't really be much luckier that she is up there for him to raise money against. Now she's causing him headaches in all kinds of other ways. But again, that is also a bit of a double-edged sword for Republicans. Yeah. We're seeing for, for Joe Biden, this helps galvanize liberal voters, but it also could appeal to the central, more centrist swing voters that we saw were an influential voting bloc in last year's midterm in Georgia. These were the voters who might have held their nose and voted for Joe Biden back in 2020, who helped Senators Ossoff and Warnock beat Republican incumbents in the 2021 runoffs, and who voted for Governor Brian Kemp in last year's midterm, but also voted for Senator Raphael Warnock. Uh, political scientists refer to sort of those, these moderate swing vote, voters as the, the median voter theory. Biden's team is betting that Marjorie Taylor Greene is out of touch with the median voter in states like Georgia, battleground states, uh, in districts that are that are competitive, and that, are, that could determine which party wins control of Congress and the presidency next year. You know, I will say that's a bit of a departure from Democratic um, kind of campaign theory. In the last couple of cycles, there has been a debate, and it felt a little bit like the sort of the go progressive, go strong progressive and ignore the middle. It felt like that was the kind of campaigns that Democrats were comfortable running. But with Joe Biden running against Donald Trump, potentially, it really are those middle of the road voters that become hugely important because Donald Trump is doing so poorly among middle of the road voters. So that suddenly opens up an opportunity for a Democrat like Joe Biden to reach out to the middle and have a really appreciable effect on the outcome of the campaign, as is exactly what happened in 2020. Let's take a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. We're back to Politically Georgia. Your host, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy. We're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, and you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, let's shift gears. Georgia's anti-abortion law took effect about a year ago, July 20th, 2022. 
and it bans most abortions once a doctor can detect fetal cardiac activity. That's typically about six weeks into a pregnancy and before many women even know they're pregnant. Our AJC colleague, Alia Malik, took a deep look at the fallout. Under the new law, she found the number of abortions performed in Georgia dropped by nearly half from about 4,000 a month to nearly 2,200. That's according to data from the Department of Public Health in May. She also documented in a recent story how women who are traveling to states with more permissive abortion laws are facing a number of obstacles, namely, as laws in those states continue to change, their options are narrowing. There's a sense of uncertainty a year out, Patricia. Oh, I mean, uncertainty just uh, is an understatement. I think there is a sense of panic. Um, There's a sense of confusion. There's a sense of despair for a number of women. Um, Obviously, for pro-life groups, there's a sense of just kind of continuing victory when they see numbers like the data that we saw that the number of abortions in Georgia has been cut about in half by this law. What we don't know is how many of those abortions that didn't happen in Georgia how many happened in other states like mm-hmm. Florida? And so um, the reporting that we have, especially from Alia, is that a number of women are driving to Florida, to North Carolina. There are additional requirements in those states to either uh, book an appointment for one day and then come back the next day. There are requirements to um, do follow-up appointments in some cases. And so the the amount that women are having to do uh, in other states, what they used to be able to do in Georgia at their discretion is really significant. And so this reporting, I think, puts a really fine point on it. The reality, though, is, is that Abortion is so little discussed among women, typically, if they've had an abortion, if they are having an abortion. This woman obviously did not want to use her name. She only told her mother. So nobody in her family, nobody in her friend group knows about this. So these stories about women having to go to great lengths to get an abortion, if they can get an abortion, are just not out there. So that's why I think this reporting is really important. And most women are not going to deal with this until they deal with it. And so as a public policy issue, that is something that is um, not moving the needle that much here in Georgia right now. We've seen in other states it did look like when abortion is the only issue on the ballot, um, then that is something that does bring out a number of voters and voters in those states, including in Kansas, choose to protect abortion rights. But when it's part of a larger statewide election, um, it's not something that, and I think this has come as a great surprise to um, to pro-choice advocates or um, they I think they believed that they would have more success in the polls mm-hmm. after this. They thought this would be a galvanizing issue and a deciding issue in statewide elections. And that has not proven to be the case so far. We will see what happens in a much closer election, like the presidential election that we expect coming up. Um, but right now we have a situation where there kind of continues to be a conspiracy of silence um, from women. Not a conspiracy, maybe just a silence and shame. An it, it just. Yeah. Yeah, just an atmosphere, uh, including this woman who said having to drive out of state with her mother, having to stay overnight, having to kind of sneak out without anybody knowing, gave her an immense amount of shame, although it didn't change the decision that she made. And so this is a situation that women are finding themselves in, and I think it compounds what is already something very difficult into something uh, practically unbearable for some of them. 
You're right, Patricia. There's so much we don't know. We we also don't know the fate of Georgia's law, which is still being contested and considered by the state Supreme Court. Republican supporters of the law are confident it'll be upheld whenever the decision comes. But if it is overturned, if the law is reversed, expect a really difficult debate in Georgia over conservative efforts to restore it. Yeah. And Greg, what do you think if the law is overturned? We know that the numbers in the General Assembly have changed slightly since the Georgia abortion law passed um, in 2019. What do you think the different uh, balance of power, it has shifted slightly to the Democrats. What does that do to an issue like this, do you think? Yeah, I mean, Republicans still, of course, have control over both chambers. But you're right. Democrats have picked up several seats since that debate way back in 2019. And back then, the the House passed Governor Kemp's anti-abortion law by with just one vote to spare. They had one Democratic crossover vote. There was a number of Republicans who sat it out, um, who didn't want to be part of this debate. It was a very fraught process in co- legislative committee hearings even before it reached the floor. It's really hard to see the same exact law passing again in this current environment. You might see some restrictions, but you it'd be really hard to have the same exact law. And of course, you'll also see some conservative uh, Republicans push for an outright ban, you know, even stricter restrictions, which you have to assume it would have even harder chance of passing if a, a slightly more permissive law, um, you know, went through a, such a, a tough, arduous process back in 2019. So I don't know if it would lead to a special session. I don't know if it would just simply just dominate an election year legislative session. It would be a real test for Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, for the new House Speaker John Burns. This is something that, you know, they would be dreading right now. Um, as well as Governor Kemp. And again, Republicans are fairly confident that the Supreme Court will uphold Georgia's law and reverse a lower court's decision, which sought to put that law on hold. Um, But at the same time, you never know. You never know what the high court could rule. Yeah. And even as it's more difficult, potentially, for Georgia to pass a six-week abortion ban, Florida has passed its own version of a six-week abortion ban. That right now is in a stay. But if that goes into effect, then uh, somebody like the woman who Alia wrote about who drove to Florida for an abortion um, would not have that option either. So the options are, are dwindling for women in this case. Patricia, now it is time for our listener mailbag, which you can now call into anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Shaney B., our producer, is standing by, and his team of interns cued the music just now. They've been pouring, sifting through your questions. Shaney B., pick the very best one for us. Just one? Yeah, yeah, Patricia's, Patricia's, I can already hear her dogs barking, Todd's somewhere <laughs> getting, getting anxious. So what's the very Greg best Greg wants to go got? out for a second run of the day. <laughs> out in the pouring room. Out in the pouring room <laughs> yeah. right outside. This comes from Joby in Macon. Joby wants to know, how do I know if my voter registration is canceled? Ooh, that's a great question, Patricia. Well, that is a great question. It's also a very timely question because um, we heard from Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger this week that he is about to do another round of voter cancellations 
also known as voter purges. Um, That is the process by which the state takes inactive voters off of the voter rolls. So what's an inactive voter? If you have not voted in the last five years and you have not responded to the Secretary of State, or really it's your county, if you have not responded to your uh, county registrar's office confirming your address in the last five years, you could be on this list. It's about 192,000 names on the list right now. Obviously, the state wants to keep those voter rolls clean. They don't want people on the list who don't live here anymore because that leads to all kinds of wild accusations like we had in 2020 that people were voting in multiple states. Um, That was not the case here in Georgia because they do keep those voter rolls pretty tight. But to make a short story long, you can go to your My Voter Registration page on the Georgia Secretary of State's office, and that will tell you if you are currently Uh, active and registered. And if you do get a note from your county registrar, be sure to send that right back in and confirm that you would like to stay on the Georgia voter rolls. Patricia, I'm so glad you you, uh, answered that question very fully. And it's very, it's news you all need to know, because if you are of any concern, if you have any concern that you've been purged from the list, and these, these purges happen periodically, make sure that you check your active registration status. Now it is time for our Who's Up and who's down for the week? Patricia, since we always like to end on a high note, who's your who's down for the week? Greg, my who's down is Mark Gelhart, the former U.S. Army officer who headed Georgia's Volunteer State Defense Force, who had to resign from his post this week because of a video that surfaced. Um, and the video was called Freaky T, and it was the former um, army officer uh, not making a cameo in this video. He was making a a very full appearance in this video, um, some really inappropriate lyrics, and so he is having a who's down this week for sure. Cut cut it before we hear a bad word, okay? (laughs) Something unfit for a family podcast. (laughs) To say the least. Patricia, my who's down is Moro... City Councilwoman Dorothy Dean, who said her Vietnamese-American colleague, Councilwoman Von Tron, quote, failed as a citizen of this country and, quote, dishonored her office because she backed a petition for multilingual ballots ahead of the Metro Atlanta City's upcoming municipal elections. There is a way to oppose something and standing up and saying someone is un-American and shouldn't serve an office. Uh, that That... <laughs> That might not be it. That that is my who's down for the week. Patricia, who's your who's up? My who's up is President Joe Biden, able to use Marjorie Taylor Greene's spliced and diced video to his advantage. And she couldn't have said it. He couldn't have said it better himself. Sometimes he doesn't say it better himself. So when Marjorie Taylor Greene says it better than you ever could, and you can use it to your advantage, you're having a pretty good week, Joe Biden. Yeah. As as Biden's campaign has said, she is the unintentional spokesperson for his campaign. Who would have thought we'd ever say those words? My who's up for the week is the legacy of the late John Lewis, the civil rights icon who is about to be honored with his own U.S. post office postal stamp. There's a special dedication to John Lewis on Friday, and it'll be a really great moment uh, that will bring together folks from both sides of the party line and and just Georgia citizens who want to see a moment of history. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday and every Friday or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC.
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,